Do you want to stop yelling and have your child listen to? Well, I have exciting news for you. If you're hearing this right now, it means that the doors to mindful parenting are open at mindfulparentingcourse.com. This only happens for a limited time, and it may be perfect for you if you want to be that patient, calm parent, but you're afraid of being walked all over, you're losing it, and you want to be that steady, peaceful parent, you don't have a cohesive method, and you take in bad advice like just count to one, two, three. Mindful parenting is an evidence-based system that not only teaches you how to calm your reactivity, but offers you a ton of personal guidance. A lot of other parenting coaches talk about the best way to respond to your child, but guess what? They don't walk you through the research-proven practices that it really takes to create changes that actually last. Mindful parenting teaches you the specific steps to create cooperative, loving relationships for life. In Mindful Parenting, you can learn how to stay calm, even if you find yourself shouting hourly now. Be present for your child no matter what they're going through. Resolve conflicts easily without yelling or taking away the iPad. Set limits without your child resenting you for days afterward. And build trust between you and your child so that you avoid misery in the teen years. The doors are open now at mindfulparentingcourse.com. Unlike other programs in Mindful Parenting, we offer one-on-one coaching to every member and weekly drop-in coaching sessions. Don't wait anymore. You and your kids are worth leveling up. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and join now before the doors close again. That's mindfulparentingcourse.com. I'll see you there. I love how the stages could inform my parenting because I could say, okay, I'm watching my child attempt to, to get some independence mm-hmm. and I can, I could learn sort of in real time from my own behavior. I could see my behavior helping to shape a child who felt autonomous versus one who felt shameful and devilish. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 204. Today, we're talking about your child's developmental stages with Karen Culp. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you've calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, my friend, or a special welcome to you if you are brand new. I'm so happy you are here and just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Karen Culp, who is a child development expert, a parent coach, an author, and the host of the We Turned Out Okay podcast. Um, And she is a wonderful, wonderful person. And we have so much fun. And she, we are going to be talking about children's developmental stages, and even the stage that many of us adults are in. And I want to give a quick trigger warning that we also discuss her experience of abuse as a child and how that shaped her path. 
um, want you to listen for some important takeaways about how understanding the developmental stages can gives us parents this really much needed perspective, my goodness, and and that the stages are all relational and our warm relationship is really the most important piece of this. And we also talk about ways to protect your child from abuse situations. So this is a very powerful episode. I know you are going to learn a lot and um, and we do have a lot of fun too. So before we dive into this episode, I want to let you know that the Mindful Parenting membership is at at the time of this op- is open and we are going to be open for a few days. If you would like to join, at, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and it is transformational. You get to be surrounded by people from all around the world who are transforming their parenting. It makes a huge, huge difference to know that you are not alone, uh, to get professional help at your fingertips all the time to walk through the proven stages of the course and um, and to and to join the tribe. It is so, so powerful. We have ways for you to join where you can be a lifetime member. That's the most popular way people join. They become a lifetime member and really dive into the work and learn it again and again in all the different ways. We have so many opportunities to practice, as I say. Um, so if you want to learn more, you want to be part of it, go to mindfulparentingcourse.com. And I know that you won't regret it. Okay, so let's dive into this conversation. Join me in talking about your child's developmental stages with Karen Culp. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me. I am so glad to have you here, and I had so much fun talking to you on We Turned Out Okay, your amazing podcast, and you asked me a really weird question to start. Do you remember? I do remember. It was the first (laughs) time I'd ever done that for anyone, and and it worked really well, I thought, you know? (laughs) All right, so here it comes right back at you. (laughs) (laughs) My own medicine. Yes, yes. I, I don't think I could ask this question to anyone else. So I think I figure I'm going to take up the opportunity. So, so yeah. what did your childhood smell like, Karen? Oh, my childhood smelled like some really interesting things and um, indoors and outdoors. So I feel like a lot of my childhood memories are outdoor type ones. So um, the lawn, you know, running around on cut grass is one that like, if I smell cut grass coming in through the windows, I'm like, oh, um, and we used to have a bunch of woods behind us. The town forest was right behind us. And so there's all the, there's all the sort of, you know, there's a, there was a brook running through it. So there was skunk cabbage. And sometimes you get a little bit of that, but most often that was only really in spring. I noticed that most often you just get this cool smell from like the, the brook itself. You could smell fresh water. And again, to this day, if I'm near a river or, or something that where that, where it, there's a really good smell of fresh water, I'm like, Oh, it just transports me back to my childhood. And then, and then indoors, um, I was raised in an Italian family. So we have a lot of, I've got a lot of like really good sort of food memories. Um, one of our favorite things was my mom or my grandmother sometimes would make spaghetti and meatballs, just the most famous spaghetti and meatballs that I can, Oh God, it's just so, <laughs> I can almost taste it now. Um, and, and, 
and uh, I mean, other sort of smells beside food. Like we, we had a wood stove growing up and um, that first run with the wood stove where you could, you know, that smell of heat, like hot, I guess probably heat coming through like a metal uh, you know, or a baseboards or something like that. That has a particular smell. And maybe because it's fall time right now, we're about to get the wood stove going. We've been cleaning it out and getting it ready in our own house. I'm like, I've been just been brought back to that sort of good smell of like warmth and safety and heat, you know? <laughs> mm, I, That's what I, my childhood smelled like. I can jive with that wood stove smell. I grew up with a wood stove too, and we have a wood stove now. And I, I have to say, as a current wood stove u- user, I, I don't want to like break your like rosy glow of your childhood, but that first burn is usually like the dust, <laughs> like burning off the top. Of it, the I mean, it could. It's actually a little gross, <laughs> personally to me. But <laughs> well, I, as the person who this this year was like one of the first years I've done this, but I was officially the wielder of the shop back this year. And I know my husband does this every year, but it was my job to clean off the uh, the inside and outside. We 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 suck out all the old ash. We, my husband takes out the bricks. He he actually cleans the chimney himself. Like he climbs up on the roof, and oh my we have God. this like we have this thing that he attaches to like a drill that like it's like a steel brush that you, you, you keep adding on lengths. I'm using my hands, not that you can see it. Um, you keep adding on lengths to it. So it goes further and further down the chimney. Cause it's like a, I don't know, a 20 or a 30 foot chimney or something. And um, you have to have the shop back on inside because it's going to suck everything that comes down the chimney into the shop back. So, um, so we don't, we, and now I, I know what you mean and we do smell dust occasionally and it's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> if we take it, you know, if it's too long between vacuumings or something like that. But, um, but that's one thing that we don't have in our house is uh, a lot of wood stove dust. <laughs> so. Well, I, I, I'm sure all the, the other wood stove listeners are like, yeah, you know, I can totally relate to this. But I imagine that for the majority of the listeners are like, <laughs> they're, they're like, wood stoves, what's going on, guys? This is a parenting <laughs> podcast. So I really brought you on here to talk to you about your 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 parenting knowledge and to pick your brain about kids and childhood stages and your ninja parenting tactics because oh. you have a you know a masters in child uh child education and um and child development and um and you've written books about it, multiple books. So uh, before we dive into some of the questions I have for you there, what, what drew you to learning about child development in particular? Oh, uh, so many things. Um, I, I think, not to get too heavy, but one of the, one of the major drivers for me in choosing to be a teacher was um, I myself was, I was molested as a child. And um, I, you know, again, we can, we can get into it if you want to, this, this might take our conversation in a different direction. And I have to, I can reference some other podcasts where I've talked about it if, if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, um, I was sexually abused when I was seven by a distant relative in my own house. And um, uh, it, it so profoundly affected me um, that when I grew up, I, I wanted to make sure that, that I wanted to try and keep others safe, I think is really where it started. And, um, and plus I enjoyed little kids. I mean, I, I had, I had fun playing. I had two younger brothers. So I really, um, one of my brothers is seven years younger than me. So, uh, it, like it was very fun to 
be a caretaker in, in some way as a kid. So growing up in the 70s and 80s, I think there was a lot more of an expectation, I think rightly, that like we would all contribute. And and um, so I, I got to help raise this kid. And, he, you know, he's now one of my best friends, <laughs> as is my other brother. Um, and, but like, so so it was never um, too far away, the idea of, of teaching. Um, I think it kind of crystallized when I thought about like, lots of kids go through when I was in when I was in grad school I learned uh, I did a research paper about uh, child sexual abuse and I learned that uh, a molester of girls is likely to molest like 65 people like there's the, it's an average of 65 girls oh my and um, I know isn't that nuts and that's a, that's of course of what's reported because it's not not everything is reported and um, and there was they couldn't even give the research that I found couldn't give a, a good uh, statistic for boys because it's incredibly underreported for that a boy would would report being molested even and, and so this is now we're talking 20 24 23 24 years ago mm-hmm. um, and so I know since then there's been a lot of you know updated research. these numbers might not even hold anymore but I I'll, I'll give you this hunter I bet it hasn't gone down <laughs> I bet those numbers haven't gone down and I I wanted especially as a person who had had that experience, I wanted to, to try to help. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this you can continue in your old habits that aren't working, or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clarkfields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist. So you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Mindfulparentingcourse.com
We are supported by Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math Mysteries About True Histories. It's a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. I highly recommend this podcast. It is really wonderful, especially if you have kids like around like six plus, but it can totally be enjoyed by the whole family. So I listened to the episode, The Pirate Queen, and you're just dropped right in the middle of the action. People are fighting. There's sword fight. And then these kids, they've gone on a time travel mission and they have to solve problems in the midst of it. And it really just like exemplifies everything we support here at Mindful Parenting. You know, kids who are adventurous, doing things on the world, they're capable. And then they do things like they have to do math, they have to think critically, they have to code break and pattern solving and all this great stuff. Beyond just the Pirate Queen episode, which I highly recommend, episodes transport listeners to moments in history, too, like Pythagoras, Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. So jump in with your family. Follow the adventures of Max and Molly on an adventure through time with puzzles and hidden equations and laughs. And it really does make learning really fun and really cool. Perfect for ages six and up. New episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids, and you can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. That's Mysteries About True Histories. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. So I checked out the episode on the difference between IEPs and 504 plans because my daughter Maggie uses a 504 plan and it was really, really helpful. It went over all the differences, which one's better, how to get them, different myths and what your rights are, all kinds of different things that you should understand if your child may need extra help in education through an IEP or a 504 plan. The tone is super helpful, friendly, and smart. I highly recommend you check it out. To listen to Understood Explains, just search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's it. Understood Explains. Oh, wow. Karen, um, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's no, such a no, curveball. <laughs> no. I mean, this is your, your truth and this is what, you know, what led you in many ways to this work. Um, you know, how are you, you are healthy, grounded person. You took this incredible, um, dark thing that, that happened to you and you made it, you turned it into a world of, um, benefit that you bring, you know, to many, many, many people. Um, how did you, how did you go about getting started healing from that? You know, it was a, it was a really long process. Um, I, I actually, when I was seven, he threatened my life at the, at the end of this. He said, if you ever tell anybody about this, I'll kill you. And I took that seriously. And I actually put it out of my mind for 
um, between seven and 12. So I didn't see him again until I was 12. And it, this information just dropped back into my head in the middle of a family party, an extended family party in a sort of reception line, you know, where you're shaking hands and now I'm 12 and I'm supposed to be this grown up kid who's, you know, going through the line with the adults. And I ended up when, when that happened, when I, when I remembered, I was like, Oh my God. Like, and I, I had, what I now think of as, a, as an anxiety attack. And I went, um, I remember going and hiding in another room. Um, and my, one of my brothers, my middle brother came and found me and, and sort of pulled me back into the, the world of the party. And, um, and from then, I think <clears throat> the longest part of my return, you know, or, or sort of feeling better, getting better was, uh, I tried to tell my folks when I was, uh, I think I was probably 12 when I tried to tell my folks and they didn't hear me. And, and um, it was, so I, I sort of felt like I couldn't, it, 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 it a little, it invalidated my experience. Um, my, my mom basically was like, Oh, you know, that was probably child's play when, when, if you think about it, that he was 18 and I was seven. So it was not child's play. And, um, but my mom didn't know that, you know what I mean? So, so all through college, as I was learning to be a teacher, I was also kind of dating, for example. And, um, I, I started having, um, panic attacks like at school and my mom was the one who arranged for me to go and see a therapist. Um, in fact, she, <laughs> so this is a little bit of a funny part of this, of this story. I think of it anyway. Um, when I was a, um, was I a freshman or a sophomore? I can't remember. I was either a freshman or a sophomore. And I started, I would go home on the weekends and I would ask to sleep in my parents' bed with them. Huh. And they were like, okay. <laughs> and my mom mentioned it to a friend of hers. She's like, isn't this weird? You know, our 19 year old daughter is asking to sleep in our bed. How funny. And this friend had been uh, very badly molested by a step parent when she was a kid. And she didn't say anything to my mom. And in fact, what she said was, don't say anything to your daughter. Don't ask her any questions. Just get her to a therapist. And, um, and that was the best thing that, that could have happened. And so I, that was before I had declared as a, um, as a child development uh, student, mm -hmm. which leads me to believe it was my freshman year because I was in the School of Fine Arts that year. So um, I, um, I, I, at the same time, I also started working in this place called the Yukon Child Labs, which uh, that's like a funny way of saying like, that's where teachers go to learn how to be teachers. And I got like a, a sort of assistant teaching job at the University of Connecticut uh, Child Labs. And that opened up my world to just the coolest, like, like we were all included in the sort of staff meetings about why don't we uh, use corporal punishment and, and why, like, what does a child really need to develop um, into their full selves and, and, and how do we teach them to get along and all these kind of cool things. So that was going on at the same time as I was seeing this therapist and, and um, that summer I became a camp counselor, like all of these cool things converged at the same time so that um I was able to, and still I hadn't spoken with my mom about this at all. Like my, you know, they, my parents didn't know what was going on until like my senior year of college. Mm. Um, but there were all these other really super positive influences that sort of made me, I don't know, just feel like, like I remember being in the child labs and thinking like, these are my people, like this mm. is who I belong with. And so I, I had been a photography major and as much as I loved it, the school of fine arts wasn't my home. You know, I didn't feel like it was my home, but I, whereas I felt like teaching was. And, um, and at the same time, I was 
getting, feeling, starting to feel better about my own situation. And that kind of gave me the courage, I guess, to, um, to, to start thinking, you know what, this happened to me and maybe I can protect other kids as a, as a teacher. And sure enough, when I was, um, my first year, uh, teaching preschool, which was 93 or 94, just after I graduated, um, we had a child who was being, uh, you know, molested at, at her home. And the way that we found out about, found about it was because she was doing things to kids at school. And it was really, I mean, in a way I was, I was better prepared for what I saw in preschool because of what had happened to me and, and the learning that I had had. And um, I, I felt much better able to help, you know? Wow. Wow. So you're, you're, you grew up with a, you know, normal parents who are not abusing you and things like that. And this happened with this real distant relative. Now yeah. I, I can imagine, you know, uh, you know, the listener thinking, Oh my gosh, this, you know, this is, uh, this obviously could happen to my child. How do, how can we, uh, how, what do you suggest for parents? Like as you, as you share your story and you know, for them to, protect children and, and, um, from, from situations like this? Yeah. Oh, what a great question. Um, I, I would suggest, and it's going to sound funny, but what I would suggest is that we teach our kids, uh, how to know their own boundaries, I guess is, is the way that I would say it. So for example, a lot in a lot of families, like tickle fighting is super fun and wonderful. And I agree. It is a blast. But when your child says, stop, you stop. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if, if you, if two kids are, if you know, if you've got two kids in there on the floor, tickle fighting or whatever, and one of them says, stop, quit it. Um, the, like we, we teach our kids to never, ever, ever say that in jest because we want everybody to understand, like, I really want this to stop now. <laughs> and um, I feel like had, had I had that kind of knowledge, I would have, you know, I remember sort of feeling like, this is weird. I'm not sure, but I didn't feel comfortable. This was an adult. I didn't feel comfortable getting out of that situation in any way. And so, um, so because the thing is, we don't want to scare our kids, right? We don't want to, we don't want to tell them like growing, when our kids were growing up, they're now 19 and, and 15. And when they were, put it this way, when my first child was seven, I, 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 I start, I had to sort of, uh, go through the, the healing process again, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this, it sort of added a layer of like, who can I trust? <laughs> I really, I really, really worried about that. Whenever he was out of my husband's sight or my sight, like who can we trust? And, um, we, the way that we handled that was we, we would sort of, we would say to him, like, uh, it is fine for you to say no to an adult. And we would, we would sort of teach our kids to trust their instincts Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just the, the kind of, you know, never using any negative language and never, ever using any sort of negative stories. I didn't, I didn't, my kids didn't find out about this until, until they were much older. Um, and we did, we sort of deliberately did that cause we don't want to, uh, there's a movie, there's a movie that has Matthew McConaughey in it. And it is about like, earth is dying and they have, I can't remember what this movie is called. You may, you may know it. I don't know, but um, there's a part where Matthew McConaughey is, is trying to explain to an adult without children, how you can't tell your child, like he can't tell his daughter, you know, 
our earth is dying. Like you, you, you can't say that cause you can't, you know, you're, you're going to just rock their trust in everything. And so that yeah, was how you we want to protect their, their innocence to some degree. I mean, yes, yes. You know, as, as, if you're able to, if you're able to. Yeah. 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 And, um, and so, so I think that was a big part of it is helping them understand their own boundaries, helping them understand you can say no to an adult. Like everyone needs to respect your boundaries. Um, and, and then trying to be, trying to, to be serious and open with them about like body parts and stuff like that. So, um, in the, in the past, it had been very common for, you know, for generations to sort of say, like to use, I don't know, silly words to describe, you know, oh, private parts or whatever. Like and, your hoo-hoo and or something. Exactly. Your cookie. Oh, yes. Oy, oy. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and so we, um, we really worked hard to not, to not do that, like to, to sort of teach them to say, you know, this is my, you know, my penis is hurting or something like that. So that, um, they, if something happened, they could say like, it wouldn't be sort of a charge situation. They could say to us and they, they've never had to, but they could say to us, this person touched me on my ex. You know what I mean? Like they, they, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So they would have language. Cause a lot of the problem for me was I, I didn't have language. I didn't know that I, you know, these are just things that aren't talked about. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so to try and break through that, um, break through that barrier and, and, and know that like everything, I really feel like this does get back into the developmental stages because, um, kids are born, uh, with a desire to make meaning, which we often don't kind of consider, um, you know, when it's 3am and they've been crying for four hours, it's really hard to think about the meaning that they're trying to make. Um, but at the same time, they are also born without any knowledge of like what, what could happen, any knowledge of sort of reality. So they live in this real magical reality. Um, even if you think about like fear of the dark or something like that, like they don't know, we can reassure them as much as we want that there's nothing in the closet, but they don't know that. (laughs) And so to try and, and give them real language to describe their fears and to validate their, their concerns. I think one of the toughest things for me was I was basically told, Oh, that was probably just child's play. That wasn't a real problem. And, and um, I'm saying that in a, in a disparaging way, but it wasn't said that to me that way. As you said, my parents are are great. I really feel like I kind of won the parenting lottery um, in the sense that they're fantastic parents. They just, they just did not, they didn't hear this. You know, this was something that wasn't on their radar and um, I feel like if I had had better words to describe it, it, it might have been, you know, it might have been able to be resolved a little bit more quickly. So, so give our kids better language. And, and you know, listener, you can uh, go back to some previous episodes. We had that uh, with, um, uh, um, we've had a couple episodes on that. May I'll put them in the show notes. I'm forgetting the names. Uh, <laughs> but so give them the language, teach them to know their boundaries and kind of the overall kind of thing I'm, I'm hearing is, is listen to your kids. Don't just dismiss them. And it's interesting because we've been talking, I've been talking about this and um, in mindful parenting, it's like part of, part of what we, we tend to do even just reflexively with little things is dismiss our kids. A kid comes crying with a, a something raw, a little boo-boo on the playground. We're like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry. You're fine. But that's really dismissing them. And if we can say, oh, wow, that hurts. If we can listen and see their their problems as real problems, um, at least to them, you know, even if it doesn't feel like a huge problem that Minecraft is down. Um, 
whatever it is. So to them it is. So let's take them seriously. Let's take our give our kids some respect. Yeah. 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 So yeah. important. So um you mentioned um uh, and I want to kind of go into a little bit of the developmental stages. Do you have kind of a can can you give offer kind of like a, a broad outline of the deve- developmental stages? Absolutely. So I think I would start off by saying that the, the developmental stages that I learned um, were created by Eric Erickson. Uh, I think he created them sort of in the 50s. I feel like 50s and 60s. Is, I, that's the one, like, so far as I know, there aren't, these are still the, the sort of standard, like, this is how we teach child development, right? Hunter, does that sound right to you? I, that's, that is sounding right to me. Okay. So um, what I love about Eric, I actually did a little bit of a deep dive into Eric Erickson in my most recent uh, book, which is called Educating Happy Kids. And um, I didn't expect to. I basically thought, oh, I'm going to tell people about the stages. And then um, I needed to find out, like, when was Eric Erickson born? When did he die? Like, I needed to sort of hear about, like, when he lived so that I could relate these to, you know, I could basically give people dates. And and I found um, that uh, this blew my mind. So Eric Erickson didn't come by these uh, uh, these ways of, understanding human development accidentally. He he lived a really interesting uh, life as he was forming, as his identity was being formed. So he was born of a wealthy woman in um, the Netherlands out of wedlock. And, and in fact, the, 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 his father, his biological father is not known to history. Huh. And um, when, when she had him, she left the Netherlands and she moved to Germany. And so he is this big, blonde Dutch kid in, um, and she, I believe, married um, a Jewish man who raised Eric as his son. So they live in a Jewish uh, part of the city that they lived in, and they, he attended Jewish school. And so he's the only big blonde kid in a sea of kids who, you know, who all look uh, very different from him. And so he didn't feel at home in any place because he was sort of made fun of in school for the way that he looked. He was made fun of uh, you know, by his, his Dutch relatives for, for sort of being Jewish. Like there was a whole cultural identity problem that he had. And, and as he grew up, um, like it, it was no, put it this way, it was no surprise to me that he is the guy who, who found these because he really wanted to find out how did I get here? Like, how, why am I this way? <laughs> why do I have these thoughts and these beliefs and these ideas? And um, I just, one last little thought that blows my mind every time I think of it. He, he, as an adult, decided to, to give himself the last name of Erickson. Like that wasn't his. Yeah. I was wondering about that. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So he chose that because he said he, I, I, to me, what that says is Eric Erickson said, I am who I believe I am, Mm. you know, and I'm secure in that. So, so I think for, you know, for listeners, the stages that are going to sort of matter most to, to you, it are the, at least when we start thinking about them, are the younger stages, right? So, so everybody is born. Um, and when we are born, we have this, in each stage, I love this too, each stage has sort of a positive resolution or a negative resolution. So the first stage is called basic trust versus mistrust. And that is when a baby, an infant discovers, can I trust that the people looking after me are going to, to honor my needs? Like, 
Are they going to pick me up when I'm crying? Are they going to comfort me when I'm sad? Or are they going to feed me when I'm hungry? You know, are they going to keep me clean? Are they going to um, do the things that will make me feel better? And that that's so crucial to our human development. And, and I think a lot of times that's, that's overlooked um, because we don't think of babies, newborns as sort of thinking beings. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just think of them as these sort of blank slates. And and this is where all that sort of attachment theory comes in because if they're securely attached, if your needs are met and you're you're feeling comforted, you're feeling held, you know, you're like, okay, you know, I can basically trust the universe. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what we want, you know. And I think the other thing I, I really want to say as we're going through these stages, hopefully we'll talk about a couple more, is that like we're all us grownups are going to drop the ball sometimes. Like we're just not going to hit every single moment of, of trust. You know what I mean? Or even the next stage is like, cause, cause as kids grow, they get, uh, they get, they have a need for independence, you know, a healthy sort of need to separate from us and to explore their world in their way. And um, sometimes they can get in trouble because, uh, because we don't want them to, um, you know, talk back to us, or we don't want them to have a meltdown, or we don't want them to run in a parking lot, because of course we don't. Um, And, and there are going to be times where we slip up and we shout, or we, um, you know, we, we say something hurtful, or we, uh, you know, our child is crying for 15 minutes, and we haven't been able to address it because something else is going on in our lives. Like, things like that will happen, and I, I try to counsel what we need to do is forgive ourselves for them and try to do better next time. Yeah, you know, thank you for recognizing our humanity. I know sometimes exactly. it, it's like you can you can get this suggestion. Oh, you should, you know, uh, the best thing to do, you know, for instance, when you have a toddler who's having a tantrum and losing is to kind of be there as this welcoming presence. Well, sometimes you might be too triggered and too upset to be able to do that. And maybe then it is more skillful to leave that situation. You know, like every situation is different and we have to offer ourselves some compassion for hum- our humanity. So I'm so yeah. glad you said that, Karen. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. Um, I, uh, do you want me to sort of move on? So, up in so the yeah. Or? So yeah. But trust for, versus mistrust about how old is that? That's babies, like infants. That's babies, and then zero to one. Zero yeah. to one. All right. All right. So yeah. then we get into. So then we get in. Yes. Yeah, some okay. of the more, I feel like these are the more fun with, this is my wheelhouse, the next couple. So autonomy versus shame and doubt. This is the toddler year. So one to two ish. And of course they're, they're very variable. Yeah, yeah. Some kids are going to be in these stages for longer or shorter than others, but these are sort of a basic, you know, rundown. So um, autonomy versus shame and doubt. This is where our kids are. They're either going to resolve this feeling like I have some independence. I can, I can, I can go and explore this bunch of blocks or I can, I can put my hands in this Play-Doh and it's going to be cool. Right. Um, and the shame and doubt comes in when we, uh, if we are too heavy handed in discipline, for example, um, if I'm, I, I, hes- I even hesitate to say that cause I don't want somebody to feel like I can't stop my child from doing something dangerous or, or mm-hmm. whatever. I feel like the way that, the way that, uh, uh certainly a teacher, figures out how to help kids have uh, like a healthy experience in their classroom is you try to put away all the things that are going to get a kid in trouble. (laughs) So, and even this can even be like, if you have a classroom where there's a runway where there's like a sort of circular area 
where kids can run, you know, so um, we had to, when I was a teacher, we had to change up our classroom a little bit because they could run from like sort of the kitchen area through the computer area, through the circle time area, back through the block area and back to the kitchen area. And um, we were like, oh, this has to, like, this is our problem, not their problem. Mm -hmm. And I think feel like a lot of autonomy versus shame and doubt can be resolved with some kind of uh, organizational or like um, mechanical moving piece, like changing something up to the environmental. Thank you. Yeah. So they don't Mm -hmm. have to, you don't have to be continually saying, Hey, quit running. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Instead, there's some, there's something else either to to direct their attention to or something to um, something so that they won't get in trouble is what we're trying to do with toddlers is make their world as like trouble free as possible. There's going to be enough times we have to say no anyway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So let's make it a little bit more, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. a little bit more, child friendly is, is how I look at it, yeah, which yeah. does not, I, I also feel though, like that doesn't mean we put, you know, rubber, uh, stoppers on everything. And we, we never, ever let them open a cabinet door or something like to me, what that means is one of my favorite things, uh, was we had a Tupperware cabinet and, um, the kids could open that up. Like with the most of the, like the things with, I don't know, laundry soap or, dangerous or, or breakable things, those were locked. We didn't think we kept that, those things out of the kids reach, but we had at least one cupboard that they could open. So, you know, typically one of my kids would sort of crawl up to it and open it up and like, what's in there? You know what I mean? And they, before long, I'm cooking happily over here and over there is a stack of, oh, different size Tupperware containers or, or lids or, you know, sometimes they would just bang things together and cheer. And so it's not about, sanitizing their environment to the point where they there's nothing for them to do to, to keep them safe. Mm-hmm. It's more about, you know, what kind of experiences can we give them so that they're gaining some autonomy. They're knowing that they can confidently open that cabinet. And if this one doesn't open, oh, it's because it's locked and I'm going to have to find something else to do. <laughs> this, no one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist, and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care. 
where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. This, uh, this is where, you know, Montessori, um, that prepared environment really comes into play really beautifully. And, and I remember learning at my daughter's toddler Montessori classroom, like, and I, going out and getting some hooks that were down low so she could hang up her own jacket and making, yes. you know, making things accessible so that, you know, making the, so that she could do things herself. And, you know, it was, it was so interesting to see that sort of pay off as my, my kids got older and I could see like, um, in a, a family member, their kids, like they would be always getting, jumping up and getting glasses of water for their children. But my kids had a nice, sturdy little pitcher. And they could, you know, they were used, they had been trained from like a very young age. And yeah. They and they could do their own darn water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's how you get kids who are competent at pouring water, right? Because those yeah. spills are going to happen when it's plastic, not glass. They're going to happen when, you know, when we're all a little bit more prepared to deal with it. I feel yeah. like if we if yeah. we didn't let our kids pour their own water until they were 10 years old and then something terrible right. happened, they would feel so uh, so helpless. And that's that's really part. And they would feel I mean, if you think about the shame and doubt that can come in that way. And, and actually, that brings me into the next stage. Um, if you're ready, Hunter. ready. Go okay, for cool. it, Karen. Which is preschoolers. Um, so this is between the ages of three and six. We have the stage of initiative versus guilt. And so you can see these build on each other. So autonomy, basic trust becomes autonomy, which becomes initiative. And mistrust becomes shame and doubt, which becomes guilt. So when, I bet we don't typically think of three, four, five, six-year-olds as, as being able to feel guilt, but they can. And I guess that's just something to be aware of as we are, you know, trying to help them move through their world. So that, again, what's the next stage up from like your toddler opening a cupboard and playing with what they find in there? It, that's initiative. So, um, so helping our kids be able to take initiative, uh, know what they can do um, in terms of like, how can they act on the world? How can they create things? Um, and, and if we are not helping them with that, or again, if they're kind of getting in trouble for their attempts, they will, they will start to feel guilty about that. And, and um, I think for Erickson, I think this is really well thought out because we do feel like I, I can remember sort of um, I, you know, I can remember making a mistake and feeling incredibly guilty. I, I can't remember one from between three and six, but I can remember um, when I was for the next stage, which is, hold on, let me find if I can get the right name of it. Uh, I'm well, going is, through. While you're, while you're looking for that, but I think this is really interesting because I, I talked to my, the, the members in the Mindful Parenting membership about, you know, how a really a three-year-old, I have just, we just talked about this yesterday, like a, tr a three-year-old can really, um, if you talk about how something affects you, how it like impairs your life in some way, how some behavior affects you and how it makes you feel, a, a three-year-old can really kind of feel empathy, right? Or, or even like yeah. a healthy guilt for that. And that can really, that makes an, 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 you know, that's a powerful, you know, relational motivator to turn that behavior around rather than saying you did something bad. So I'm going to make you feel bad and hurt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is doesn't, which just makes them angry at the parent it's, instead that they can feel that they can, they do can, can see how their uh, actions on the world affect you. And, and that can be a powerful motivator. Yeah. That is such, Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because, um, it's a combination of empathy 
sort of this, this idea that now three to six, you're starting to be able to take somebody else's perspective and the sort of egocentrism of childhood, which is they, so if something bad happens, they will automatically say, well, this was my fault because they don't have that capacity to look outside of themselves. Um, in, you know, they, they, they have a hard time taking others' perspectives. And so the beginnings of guilt, as you say, like kind of a healthy feeling, you know, when you're living in a, in a society <laughs> which depends on the socialness of it, you, we need people to have that empathy, have the, the ability to take others' perspectives and understand my, my behavior is having an impact on that. My choices are having an impact and sometimes we do have to feel that guilt because it's true. <laughs> we have to change our behavior. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, cool. So initiative versus guilt. So we can probably support this stage by I'm I'm thinking like having the having, you know, art supplies ready and organized, you know, in a place where your child can access it. Maybe having um, simple tools. Like, um, I remember my daughter, I get back to sort of that Montessori thing that there's a, a catalog called for small hands that has a wavy cutter that you can cut with two hands and oh. using this, you know, having this, we had our Ikea stool and a wavy cutter and, uh, just, you know, seeing these, you know, so offering them tools for this initiative and this, this autonomy. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> um, I, I I have a memory of we had a stool that a kid could, we had a stool and we had a little hook on the side of the fridge that held like a smock. And a kid could unfold that stool, um, put the smock on and climb up. And they we taught them, you know, uh, where the warm water was versus where the cold water was. And we, we have it, we have our, we have one of those heaters that you can, water heaters that you can set so it doesn't go over a certain temperature so they won't get scalded, but still the water can be really hot. So we would teach them how to run cold water or warm water in the sink and squirt one squirt of soap, you know what I mean? And like, mm -hmm. they could get up and play with soap bubbles if they wanted to. And like, just the, I just remember the, the joy, like in their whole body of like, oh, I can do that. I can do this. And I mean, just the initiative of like, I know what to do with this situation, sort of building that confidence and helping them see like, I can act on my world. It's so, you know, so important. And, and we don't want our kids to ever feel like they're not agents of their own kind of lives. Right. Yeah. That's, absolutely. that's, that's absolutely. a big deal. All right. Um, I, I know our, our what? time is it's Sorry, close to up, but I'm just wondering if you could give us what what comes after initiative versus guilt. Um, after initiative versus guilt, uh, two seconds. I've um, I've got an e copy of my <laughs> my my uh, my book here, and I'm I'm just going through it, and I cannot believe this. I'm not finding. Oh, there, yeah. okay. So after initiative versus guilt comes identity versus role confusion. Is that really true? That feels a little old. <laughs> well, I um, could see that as a time, I could see that as a time where you're forming so, an identity, yeah. right? You're becoming a much more independent kid. You, they, I guess I think they talked, like Rudolf Steiner talked about the sort of this teeth cutting age, right? And, and yeah. coming into your power as a kid. Yeah, yeah. So um, identity versus role confusion is actually 12 to 18. So there is a step in the middle here. Oh. That I am not, I, I really apologize for this. I'm not That's finding okay. it in my notes. Oh, it could be 
industry versus inferiority. That's what oh, it is. Because now we are, we're acting industriously versus feeling I cannot act on the world and feeling inferior in that way. So this was the age at which my kids started a YouTube channel with some friends down the street. Um, it was long before YouTube was what it is now. And um, it, it felt like a much smaller world. And uh, I loved it was completely child directed and child driven and it was called never trust a giant teddy bear and like oh. i mean my they had this giant teddy bear and they had like my my son was sort of one of the main characters uh, the older one was the younger one he was like 6 years old 7 years old and he played an assassin which he which basically <laughs> meant that he walked around with a nerf gun you know in a hoodie and um i mean we it, it felt a little ooh, at the time but i mean it, what that meant was that he was, they were acting in this, they were all contributing to a whole project. And, and even the littlest kid who was my youngest had full say in, in creatively what was going on in this. And, and, um, and they, they worked together on it. One of them who was not 12 um, did all the editing and stuff like that. I mean, they, they, you know, it was, it was maybe the production values weren't ideal, but for them, it meant everything. They were making a TV show. I mean, like that you could watch mm -hmm. on your TV. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was really, really thrilling. So that's like how that can come out. That can resolve positively. Inferiority is, you know, say like I stepped in and said, oh, you know, this is, this is dangerous. It, it can't, you know, you can't do this. Um, and my, my what, what my children would learn from that is these other kids can do it. So I must, there must be something wrong again with the egocentrism of childhood. There must be something wrong with me that like, I can't, I'm inferior in this way because I can't, I'm a loser. I mean, you know, to put it in the, in modern parlance <laughs> Yeah. and we don't want that for them. Right. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask if I could really <laughs> super quickly share about the stage that probably a lot of parents are in right now. Yeah, go for it, Karen. Um, which I, I am completely fascinated by this. So um, so identity versus role confusion is the sort of teen years where you're trying to figure out who you are and what you are about, right? Who, mm -hmm. who, who is your tribe? Where do you belong? Um, and the stage that likely a lot of listeners are in now is called intimacy versus isolation. And this is like basically 20s through 40s or through 30s. Oh, wow. um, and I'm, I've always been fascinated with this because I just recently watched one kid move into identity versus role confusion and the other kid move out of identity versus role confusion and very clearly move into intimacy versus isolation. Like his whole direction changed where he was like, I know who I am. And, and, I, and I, you know, am I going to be lonely or am I going to find other people who, who, are like me kind of a thing. And um, really interesting to watch him go through. And like, I feel like for us to know where we are is really helpful because um, we can we can consider ourselves and how we are thinking about our children from through the, the stage of life that we're at too. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Karen, because we are always, you know, we're either growing or we're dying, right? You know, yeah, so, yeah. so we're always growing. And this, this idea of, you know, resolving this issue of, you know, intimacy versus isolation, I think is really um, apropos and powerful, especially in these days, this day, these days where people there, we know that there is so much loneliness in the world and there's so yeah. much uh so many ways that we disconnect from each other through ostentation you know through all our connectivity um 
but but how can we be um, more real? How can we be see each other fully? You know, a little bit more yeah. and yeah, and see see the people around us and be seen more fully and honestly. And and knowing that other people around us are looking for something positive, looking for for I mean, intimacy doesn't have to mean you know, mm-hmm. you're hopping in bed with somebody, right? Intimacy means sharing a moment with somebody <laughs> and, and making it be a kind and good moment instead of making somebody feel, you know, you can, you can flip off a driver who has cut you off and, and likely you'll feel isolated and so will they, or you can, in your heart, you can say, you know what, that's just where that person is today. And I'm like, I don't mean this from on high where I am always, you know, practicing (laughs) intimacy. I mean that I have to learn these things too. And, and I'm trying to live more of what I want to see in the world. And what I want to see is more good, you know, good connection and less isolation. (laughs) So, so these stages kind of understanding that maybe your child's going through, autonomy versus shame and doubt initiative versus guilt um how have they how did they kind of help you and you know go through your own kids stages uh well i'm a total geek so i am the (laughs) kind of woman who my bedside reading when i was pregnant when my kids were small were uh books I'm, i'm trying to remember the titles but basically like hardcore books about like these are the reflexes that your child is born with and like mm-hmm. this is how you test for them and um you know the kinds of things I got in grad school I got to go into um a hospital setting and um watch tests like uh like for watch an APGAR test perform now again this was I so love how the stages how could inform but um it was so my cool parenting to, to, because um, I could say see, you know okay really I'm watching my, my child's first moment attempt to, that to get some independence as I think mm-hmm. about, and I can I could learn sort of in real time from my own behavior um I could see my behavior helping to shape a child who felt um autonomous versus one who felt shameful and devil and I do remember one one particular moment where my oldest I came down on him really hard I think he was three and he, he was I don't even remember. Like, that's the thing. You don't even remember, right? Like he was doing something that was annoying to me. And I basically was like, you need to stop that right now. And, and he did immediately. And for the next few minutes, I still had a, a, an unhappy look on my face or an angry look on my face. And I wasn't even saying anything to him. And, and like, I was, I was just sort of brooding almost in my, in my expression. And he said, mom, something like, mommy, what do I, what can I do to make you stop looking like that at me? And I was like, Oh my God, like this is, this is not what I want for my, for my child. Like it's the wrong way to discipline. And so I was able to in, again, you know, and we would say now I was able to check myself and think, wait a second, what is he trying to do and how bad is it really? Like, is he, you know, it's not like he's, I don't know. uh, uh, Like, I can't even think of anything bad, right? He's, he's trying to, to gain some autonomy for himself. He doesn't know that it's wrong to, I don't know, crawl under his bed or something. Like I can't even think what it might be, but um, if that was on me to figure out, not him. And so I resolved that my child would never again have to say to me um, anything like that. Like I, that, that my expression would show my feelings and, and that once that moment was, you know, once the disciplining had to be, because there's some positive discipline, right. In life, once that moment was done, we were moving on. And, and so that he would never have to question, if I 
you know, was still mad at him or something. I hated that. Mm, so I, I can kind of see this as kind of for, you know, for the listener, you know, using these, this brief overview of the stages, maybe as a starting point to dive deeper, but also to maybe help you, help you check yourself to, or, or in other words, to help you get perspective on what is really going on right now. And, can I can I take a little bit of a different perspective on it? But yeah, I, I invite you to definitely use these to to dive deeper and learn a bit a little bit more. And and Karen has a, a book where you're talking about the stages. What tell us how, about the book and how we can find it? It's called Educating Happy Kids, and it is found at it can be found at weturnedoutok.com/books. Um, it is right now, if you're listening in, in real time, it's the, it's the top one. Um, and it's available at the website. Currently I am working on getting it in audio and, um, I'm, I'm going to have it in, you know, as an ebook. And, uh, right now it is a PDF download from my website. So, and I just got the cover this week and I love it so much. <laughs> Yay, yeah. That's so, always good news. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's such fun when you can see the cover and you're like, wow, it's like perfect. It reflects the book perfectly. So. It's real. It's um, real. Karen, this is, I could, um, we have a, a hard stop. We have to stop, but I, I could, I could, talk to you about all these things and geek out on this like forever. So I think I'll probably have you back on the podcast. Some other time we'll talk some more. It's been so wonderful to, to talk with you. And, and I just really appreciate, you know, what you're doing, how you took, you know, you took your, your cards and you, you, you took these incredible challenges and you made them your teachers. And now you're sharing that all with the rest of us. And, and that is, that is the most we could ever ask of someone. I think that what you're doing is beautiful. So thank you. Well, thank you so much. I just want to say quickly how, how much I love that you frame things as challenges becoming teachers. I, I think that is um, it's one of my very favorite things that you talk about. And, and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I love understanding those stages and how it, you know, we need to get this perspective on our kids. And I think also Karen's personal story was a perspective that we need to, right? We need this, these stories. We need to hear them sometimes. I, I believe that. Um, if you would like to improve your parenting, if you would like to join a tribe, if you know that you're not alone, if you would like to have at your fingertips um, all the resources you need to become the parent you want to be so that you can make these relationships with beings that you are going to be in relationship for life to make this truly the most important thing in your life, to make it the positive relationship that you want it to be, then Mindful Parenting is open right now as I release this. Um, If you're in the future, you can go get on the wait list, but it's all at mindfulparentingcourse.com. You can join the membership, um, become join our most popular option, be a lifetime member, and 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 connect with these parents all around the world who are supporting each other and transforming our parenting. So I hope I will you will be the next beautiful face on my next coaching call where I get to connect with you and hear your story and support you in raising your kids. So if you would like that go to mindfulparentingcourse.com and sign up. And if you're in the future, get on the wait list. And I I hope to to see you there. Okay. And I'm wishing you a great week. I'm wishing you you peace. I'm wishing you joy. Um, And I hope this has brought you some perspective and some way of just kind of stepping back. So 
It definitely has for me. Uh, I cannot wait to connect with you again next week where I have a very special surprise for you. Something exciting. So that will be coming up next week. I'll be talking to Kim Payne about Simplicity Parenting. So join me next week here at the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness, and I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.